Hello everyone and welcome to the Harbour City podcast. This is Jamie here, just letting you know that on Sunday we had a number of technical difficulties which resulted in us starting the recording on the sermon a bit late. So you'll notice that the sermon starts a bit of the way through. We're sorry for the inconvenience but hope you enjoy the message just a narrative it isn't just the narrative of an event it's actually content it is doctrine Paul is saying to a group of people who are not arguing with them about the resurrection they're not arguing with them about the death of Christ what he is saying to them is hey guys you have got the meaning of the gospel wrong you have got the content wrong you have got the doctrine wrong and to get that wrong is detrimental. He is arguing not just for the event of the gospel, but for the meaning, for what the gospel means. Um, it's sometimes we can get lost in narrative and think that doctrine is unimportant. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Maybe you've said that, uh, oh, you know, theology, doctrine, all of that kind of stuff. Why does the church need that? Let's just talk about the life of Jesus. He died and rose again. Well, this passage here guards us against that because Paul is saying to a group of people who are not denying the death and resurrection of Jesus they're not denying the life of Jesus he's saying that they've just got the content the meaning the doctrine of the gospel wrong he's arguing for us to have good theology Um, and what he's essentially arguing is for two things Uh, that we see throughout the book of Galatians. He's arguing for the grace of Christ. You see this? He says, uh, he starts off and he says, I'm astonished, I'm astonished, I am bewildered that you are so quickly leaving the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. He's arguing for the idea that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. That in the gospel, it is everything Jesus has done and nothing about what we do. He's arguing for the grace of Christ. John Stott says this, he says, the true gospel is in its essence what Paul called it in Acts 20, 24, the gospel of the grace of God. It is good news of a God who is gracious to undeserving sinners. In grace, he gave his son to die for us. In grace, he called us to himself. In grace, he justifies us when we believe. All is from God, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.18, meaning that all is of grace. Nothing is due to our efforts, merits, or works. Everything in salvation is completely due to the grace of God. What was happening in the Galatian church is that they were adding works to the gospel. A group of people had come in and said, hey, you know what, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but, whoa, did my voice go like a little quaver there? Oh, hello. (laughs) Coffee before, don't do it. It's good that you believe in Jesus, but you know what, you also need to be circumcised or you also need to do this. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but um, sometimes we do this ourselves. Oh, yeah, it's good that you believe in Jesus, but do you go to church? And how often? 
and serve? And how often do you read your Bible? And all of a sudden, the list starts getting longer and longer and longer and longer. And we have this gospel of like, you have to, let's believe in Jesus and that he's done everything on the cross. And also, you have to go to church so many times, read your Bible so many times, do you tithe, do you this, do you that? And the list goes on and on and on. And what we eventually have is not a gospel of Jesus alone, but a gospel of Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and, Jesus and. What Paul was arguing for, what he was defending against was this Jesus and, this Jesus and circumcision, this Jesus and the ceremonial law, this Jesus and doing this, this Jesus and that, and then you will be saved. Then you will be approved by God. Then you will know that you've got God's favor if you do this and that and this and that. What Paul is arguing for is that we only, only, only receive the favor and the grace and the goodness of God because of what Jesus did, not because of anything we have done ourselves. Paul is fighting for the grace of Christ. He's urging us to remember that we are only saved only enter into relationship with God because of God's grace. Sometimes we have this view, I'll come to church when I'm good enough. I will give my life to God when I'm good enough. I will do all of these things and then finally I'll believe like in the grace of Christ. Paul is fighting against a mentality that is trying to add anything to Christ's grace. That it is Jesus plus nothing. We are saved by Jesus and him alone. We receive God's favor. We receive God's grace. We receive everything from him only because of what he has done, not because of what we do. You know, sometimes I think uh, what it's so easy to do is it's so easy to get into a mindset where uh, we believe in the death and resurrection of Christ just in a completely narrative sense. So we're like, Jesus is a great guy. We can learn from his teaching. He died. He showed us a great example. But you know what? There are good people elsewhere. There are good people doing things that may not believe in Jesus. How can they not also be able to know God and receive God? What Paul is arguing is that no one No one good in Christianity, no one good outside of Christianity comes to know God but by Christ alone. And he's also arguing, as I mentioned before, against the tendency of the church to lean towards legalism, lean towards this idea that if I just go to church enough, then maybe I will know God. If I just go to church, then enough, then maybe he will bless me. If I just do this enough, if I just give enough, if I just, then maybe, maybe, maybe. He is fighting for the fact that we are accepted, we are forgiven, we know Christ only because of God's grace. Our morality is a response to God's grace, but it adds nothing to it. We must never forget that. The other thing that he's arguing for is what 
we call gospel unity. As you read through the book, you get to uh, chapter two, and in chapter two, you see that uh, Peter gets strongly rebuked by Paul. And he gets strongly rebuked by Paul because all of a sudden he starts he stops eating with the Gentiles and only eats with the Jews. He creates a division, and this gets Paul really angry. And he says that this division that he's creating is a gospel issue. Uh, A guy called Andrew Wilson and a guy called Tom Wright both relay a very similar story, but they said, imagine you were a missionary that came to South Africa during apartheid times, and you created a school that would be open to people from all races, and you wanted people from all races to share the same toilets, to eat in the same hall, to learn together, to, to be unified. And then you go. Maybe you've, you, you, you've left because you need to go raise some more finances for the school project and that, and you come back and you realize that they've just reverted back to apartheid practices. And all of a sudden, you've got black and white uh, kids studying in different rooms, using different bathrooms, as was the reality of apartheid. You've got the separation hearing. Imagine what the missionary would feel, the anger that he would feel that people have completely gone against the very intention of what they were trying to do. What Andrew Wilson and Tom Wright says, this is some of the anger that we feel in this moment from Paul. He's looking at this and he's going, what have you done? Do you not know that God has brought together all as one in Christ? And here you are splitting people again. Tom Wright says this, he says, that's the beginning of the good news talking about Jesus as Lord, but it doesn't stop there. According to Paul, Jesus' death and resurrection means that this God is now building a new family, a single family, a family with no divisions, no separate races, no one table for Jews and another for Gentiles nonsense. The remarkable thing is that because of Jesus, you don't have to be a Jew to belong. The God of Israel wants to be known as Father of the whole world world. Paul is fighting on one sense for the grace of Christ, and he's fighting on the other sense for the family of God, for the unity of the gospel. He's saying both are gospel issues. Legalism is a gospel issue. Prejudice is a gospel issue, and he's fighting against a church that has embraced both. And in his anger, he's asking them, he's challenging them, he's fighting for them to come back to good doctrine, to good doctrine. What Paul argues for, essentially, what Paul says as you get to the end of Galatians 2, that the reason why, the reason why we come together as one family in Christ is because of grace, that it is no longer because of our descent, it is no longer because of their ethnicity as they were arguing for. Every single person only finds God through the grace of Jesus Christ. He's calling them to good doctrine. And I think it's important that we remember, even as we go through this book, that the gospel is not just an event. The gospel is 
content. It is meaning of that event. It is doctrine. It is theology. That Paul starts off by talking about the death and resurrection of Christ. And then he goes into essentially arguing that, hey, you have got this wrong. And what do we see here? We see something radical. When he says to them, he says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. And as you go on and he reads and he says, uh, he says, even if we or anyone else should preach to you something different, let them be a curse. What is he saying? He's saying there is only one gospel. There is no different gospel to get this wrong, to get the grace of Christ wrong, is to get it all wrong. There is only one gospel. My second point is this, is it's on Christ. And it says, uh, as we read in verse 6, that he says, I'm astonished that you are deserting the one who called you. What amazes me when you read this passage is he doesn't say, I'm astonished that you are deserting this really good idea. I'm astonished that you are deserting good theology. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I'm astonished that you are deserting the person of God. He is essentially saying this, that to get the gospel wrong is to get God wrong. To desert the gospel is to desert Christ himself. He is saying to them, he is arguing for that this, what seems like a small idea, is a really big thing. And it's a really big thing because it isn't just about semantics and doctrine for clever people. It's a big thing because when you get this wrong, people miss God entirely. When we get the grace of Christ wrong, we don't get Jesus. We get someone of our own imagination. Paul is arguing that the gospel is relational. That the gospel is relational. You may have read in, in John 17 verse 3, it says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus himself praying, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is arguing that this gospel is relational, that when we come to believe in the grace of Christ, we are brought into relationship with God, that we are invited to know him, and that when we get it wrong, we miss him entirely. To get the grace of Christ wrong is to get Christ wrong. To get the gospel wrong is to get God wrong. To change the gospel is to move away from God himself. Paul is calling them back to Christ. And in some ways, that call comes to us as well, to come back to Christ. 
when we revert to legalism, when we revert to uh, thinking that the way that we come to know God is just by trying to be good enough to reading our Bible, every time maybe we've sinned and we feel really bad about something that we've done and we're like, oh no, I've sinned. Okay, what I need to do is I need to go now and pray for 10 minutes, then I need to read my Bible. I better make sure I'm there on Sunday because all of that is gonna help me feel better. When we revert to that kind of perception of what Christianity is about, what Paul is saying is that we've missed God entirely. Because the gospel says when we have sinned, we come only to God's grace to receive forgiveness. Only in Christ, not in our praying, not in our reading the scriptures, not in our coming to church, in Christ alone because of his death and resurrection, do we find God and his grace. My last point is this, uh, is that the gospel isn't just relational, but it is God taking the initiative in the relationship. As uh, that verse says, it says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you. Tim Keller says this, he says, he says the problem with this idea of the call in the scriptures is that we don't, there's no English word to quite understand what it means. When we call someone, they don't really need to listen. So if you've got kids, I've got kids, and uh, this happens all the time, I say, hey, Summer, Ruby, uh, please come here and hear nothing. You know, like dinner's on the table. Are they even in the house? Like, Summer, Ruby, okay, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then like five minutes later, you're like, where are my kids? Like, I need to go and get them, bring them, food's getting cold. Um, what, what happens is, is we call them and you want them to listen, but often they don't. But when God calls, it comes with power. God draws us to himself through his call. That God takes the initiative in us coming to him. It's what theologians call an effective call. That call, when God calls us, he brings us to himself. He opens up our hearts. He opens up our eyes. And we begin to see the grace of Christ, not because of our genius, not because of our works, not because we've come to church, but because God, by his grace, has effectively drawn our hearts to himself. Keller goes on to say, that one of the ways that we begin to understand the gospel is we begin to realize we were not good enough to understand it ourselves. Somehow, God put the lights on. That one day, I don't know if this has happened to you, but one day, maybe you've been to church through your whole life, and then all of a sudden, one day, you were like, oh my gosh, this is true. This is real. Like the light suddenly came on. You may have heard the gospel many times. You may have been to church many times. You may have even read the scriptures many times. But what happens was God's call began to win your heart to himself. One of the things that I love about the gospel is that there is a beauty in this. There is a beauty 
uh, and a humility, I think, that comes from the gospel initiative, from the fact that God calls us to himself, that we have not reached out to him, we have not done anything spectacular that God would have taken notice of us. We have not been so good that while God was roaming the world, he stopped and went, oh my, look at Jamie, someone get that guy, he's so amazing. What the Bible tells us that while we were still sinners, while we were in our worst state, God called us. There's a beauty in that, that God would acknowledge, that God would see us, that God would draw us to himself, that God would die for us, that God would forgive us even while we are in our worst state. And there's a security in that. There's a security in knowing that we have been called by God. We don't live day after day. We don't live week after week, month after month, going, I wonder if God loves me. You know, doing that like Daisy kind of thing. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. Does God love me today? Does he not? Does he love me today? I don't know. Oh, it's land on. He doesn't love me. It's a bad day, you know. Or, or it lands on. He loves me. Okay, thank you, God. You love me. What happens is when we think all the initiative is on ourselves, what happens is there's no security there because we wonder, well, is God going to notice me now? Is he going to notice me today? Is he going to accept me today? But what the gospel tells us is that we have come because God called us he took the initiative he drew us to himself he died for us while we were still sinners he acknowledged us in our worst state in our rebellion he is the one that calls on our name there is a humility that comes because in the gospel, we have to acknowledge that there is no righteousness that I add. There is no intelligence that I bring. There is no brilliance that would attract God to myself. God draws me only because of his free grace. God draws me only because of his overflowing love. I have come to God only and utterly because of God himself. Can we stand?